Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtless. This show is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Tuesday night, almost at Monday, at 7.30 p.m. and repeated on Thursdays at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also pick up this show on Podomatic.com. Just put in the, on the, in the site there, just put in uh, Camp Constitution Radio. And on YouTube, where we upload most of the shows, and a lot of the shows are also archived. And <clears throat> i got an uh, interesting uh, – oh, this show is brought to you by Camp Constitution, which, among all things, runs a, a week-long family camp. And this year's camp is going to take place in the beautiful Lakeside Christian Camp and Conference Center. Uh, which is in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, and we've got a great lineup of instructors, as we do every year. So visit our website. Also uh, visit our YouTube channel, and please subscribe to our channel, as well as share our videos. And Podomatic, do likewise. With Podomatic, you follow, and you don't subscribe. And uh, all these are free downloads. Visit our website and check out the Sam Blumenfeld archives, an incredible uh, amount of resources for homeschoolers, teachers, researchers, um, uh, historians, and people who are just have an active intellect. And uh, all we require is an email address and a username. Also, uh, shows like this do cost us money, a uh, very modest amount, by the way, and I encourage people who uh, would like to get on the air to look into WBCQ, uh, get a hold of the station, and uh, so we also have lots of activities year-round, and uh, this uh, is fueled by the generous people that support us. And if you like what you hear and like what you see when, uh, when you go on our YouTube channel, please uh, make a donation or become a sponsor. You can make a donation from our website. Uh, we have a PayPal account, and uh, you can be a camp sponsor. Just uh, send us a message, and uh, for $50 a year, we will put your nonprofit or business up there as a sponsor. You can do more than $50, but we say a minimum of $50. Um, anyway, folks, um, I want to talk a little bit about this uh, a national emergency. Uh, and lots of good folks, uh, well, people I would say are good folks, uh, believe, uh, I think as President Trump does, that in order to build the wall, the wall uh, or uh, a fence or whatever they're, they have in mind, on the Mexican border, we need to declare a state of national emergency in order to do that to sort of circumvent Congress, since Congress will not um, agree to the, the, the funding the wall at this point. Uh, well, first off, and I have immigration officers that I've met over the years that say you don't need a wall for the whole border. Certain choke points you do, and there's other ways to control. Of course, the best thing is to do away with the incentives the illegal aliens have to come into this country. That would keep a lot out, and there'll be a lot of self-deportation. Uh, but I do agree that uh, there should be more security, and in some places, a wall or a, uh, a series of fences. Uh, but President Trump does not have to declare a national emergency. If you look at your constitution, you will not find the term national emergency anywhere in that constitution. You will find, though, on Article 4, Section 4 of the constitution, the part that concerns the states. It says that, first off, that every state is guaranteed a Republican form of government, and also that the pre that it doesn't say the president, it just says that they st they, uh, basically the states would be protected from invasion. 
So you don't need to declare a national emergency. What you need is to simply invoke Article 4, Section 4, which it's obvious that we are being invaded, and these people that are coming in, aren't most of whom aren't coming in because they're uh, refugees from an oppressive government. They're here to make life better for themselves. They're here as a means to destroy our country. And some people don't want to hear that. The narrative is, oh, they're just poor people fleeing an oppressive regime. But that's not the case. That's not the fact. There's some examples of that. And there are means, to, if you're a refugee, there are means to deal with that, not coming into our country illegally. So I hope somebody gets to Donald Trump and tell him, look, Donald, Mr. President, you do not need to declare a national emergency. And you see, a national emergency has been around for a long time. I did a little research on it. I believe it was, uh, it may have been used by, well, President uh, Lincoln, he, uh, he revoked the writs of habeas corpus uh, and uh, people were arrested arbitrarily, which was wrong. Um, it, it does say that that can be in the Constitution that can be done in cases of, uh, you know, certain, certain cases of, in, uh, but he was arresting people in the North, you know. But anyway, uh, I think it was Woodrow Wilson who, who uh, signed the first executive order. I may be incorrect, but I, the research I looked into, that's, that's where it looked like. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt issued a whole bunch of them, and they've been issued by presidents ever since. The state of emergency is not in the Constitution, and the president does not have the power to do that, even though they've been doing it in both parties. Uh, there was a, a law that was passed and signed uh, back in, I think it was in the mid-'70s, that's supposed to have sort of, uh, had a little uh, restriction on national emergencies or give Congress a little more say in what the matter. Again, unconstitutional. The whole thing was unconstitutional. And <clears throat> we've been in a state of national emergency, by the way, for many, many years. I think there's about a dozen national emergencies uh, going back to the 1970s. I know Obama passed one when there was some turmoil. I think it was in uh, the Middle East somewhere. Somehow it, it influences or affects us here in the United States. Um, and one of the dangerous things of this balanced budget amendment that's been proposed uh, is that there are two escape clauses in this balanced budget amendment. Because most people of the conservative mindset will say, what are you, why would you be against a balanced budget? And my answer was, I'm in, I want a constitutional budget, not a balanced budget. Balanced budget doesn't mean it's constitutional, and it doesn't mean there won't be a tax increase or the two clauses either in time of war or a state of national emergency. Well, we haven't declared war since 1941, but we've had national emergencies. So this is the scenario. So a, uh, a typical so-called conservative Republican who usually votes for big government will say to his constituents, well, look, it. I did my best. I supported the amendment. I supported a convention that gave us an article, this Article 5 convention where we proposed this amendment and yeah, we passed it, uh, and so I, I should be, you know, this great tax, this great tax, this big hero of the taxpayer, right? But what can I do? We have a national emergency. I did my best, and what can you do? Uh, so what will happen is, if that amendment is passed, you now make national emergencies constitutional, and that's the big problem with this. With that's one of the big problems with that. So uh, a national emergency does not have to be declared, Mr. Trump simply invoke Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution, and you can secure our borders, and you can, um, without having to declare a state of national emergency. 
Now I'm going to uh, change the direction of this uh, in, uh, this show right now and talk about something called the plastic bag ban. I've talked about it uh, a few shows ago, and it was interesting. I uh, Camp Constitution just put out a a one-page, actually a two-sided flyer, which you can access from our website. If you go to campconstitution.net, you'll see a drop-down. It will say Downloads. Click on that, and the very last download, because look at them all. There's some good stuff there, uh, but the very last one, uh, we'll be putting more up as time goes on, but it will be Plastic Bag Band PDF, and I want to thank uh, Mark Affleck, our camp, um, our camp newspaper editor, for editing and making this a nice appealing little pamphlet. Uh, it's amazing that when you write something up and you say, that looks really good, and then you give it to another set of eyes, oh, typo, typo, typo. And then he actually sent it to me, and I said, oh, you, got, you didn't finish the sentence here. So that's why it's always good to have more than one person edit. You need a few people, uh, and you don't want to go to print with something that has a typo. And the left is very interesting, too. They believe in inventive spelling and common common core, and you don't have to really get it right. A horse is a pony. It's the same thing. No big deal. Of course, go to a racetrack and, uh, and, and tell, tell, the, tell the people there. But if you make a little tiny error, if you, if you, you don't dot something correctly, oh, look at this ignorance, you know, S-I-C, S-I-C, they'll be doing that. It's just typical. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, so please make available, uh, avail yourself of that. And I want to have a disclaimer. I am not a member of the plastic bag lobby, okay? I am a member of the freedom lobby. So uh, and, and there is a plastic bag lobby. You visit their website, and they're all for sustainable this and sustainable that, and uh, they're not interested in going after the bigger picture. And that's the problem with a lot of people in organizations. You know, the people that want to say, ban, they get rid of the smart meters, the so-called smart meters, they don't want to look at the bigger picture. The people will say, let's get rid. We don't want a rail trail here because it harms our pr- private property and it co- it's costly and other issues. But we don't want to look at Agenda 21. We don't want to say that. You know, we can't say that. You know, so we, we don't want the wind turbines. We don't want the solar panels cluttering our neighborhood. But we want to look at the bigger picture because people will call us names. So uh, it's, if I went to a doctor because I found a tumor, I don't want the doctor to tell me, oh, you know, we'll just lance it and put a... Put, put some heat on it when he really knows that it's cancerous and it's going to spread. Please tell me the truth. We're gro- I'm a grown-up. I'm not a child. Uh, so we should stop being political children and speak the truth, even if some people will call us names and call us conspiracy theorists. You have to expect that. If you're not willing to, be, to be, uh, have people call you names and to be uh, getting nasty messages, then you don't belong in the fight. You shouldn't even be involved. And I tell you, um, so the plastic bag ban is just one of the one of the tentacles of Agenda 21. Agenda 21 was a uh, was a 40 pay a 40 chapter document that came out of a meeting in 1992 at Rio de Janeiro, where there was about leaders from uh, most of the most of the countries of the world. <clears throat> the Al Gores of the world, and all of these. They were going to save the planet from these evil, wicked capitalists. Some folks don't realize, though, that it was the, capital, the evil capitalists, the Rockefellers, et cetera, that started the environmental movement as a means of control. But we, and that was long before Agenda 21 was launched. But anyway, this document, uh, and it was a, what we call soft law. It wasn't a, a treaty. 
it was just here. Here are the 40 chapters dealing with every aspect of humanity, practically, from education to fishing to farming to urban issues to climate change. Uh, and you take this back. And so Daddy Bush took that document back, and he got voted out of office. So Bill Clinton said, now I'm in office. And there really wasn't a big difference between the two. And you can see that when the Bushes and Clintons get together, how chummy they are. Uh, so anyway, uh, Bill Clinton established the White, the White House Office of Sustainable Development, and he hired the American Planning Association, I think, APA, and uh, gave them a nice big fat contract. And they basically, he basically said, now you've got to take this 40 chapters, and we have to be able to adopt it at the, at the level of the United States. So they came out with Towards a Sustainable America, which you can find online, free download PDF. There were eight things in there. One of them, by the way, was um, population stabilization, not just in the United States, but in the world. And that's why the, the left loves abortion so much. It's got nothing to do with a woman's right to choose. It's got everything to do with population stabilization. And um, anyway, so... and. A group called the ICLEI, the International Council for Local Environmental Initiative, was created at the UN two years prior to the releasing of Agenda 21. This Agenda 21 was something that was formulated before the meeting at Rio ever got started. It wasn't something that a bunch of people sat together and said, oh, okay, I like this or like that. We won't do this. We won't do that. There's consensus here. No. It was, uh, and Dr. Michael Kaufman of environmental perspectives, the late Dr. Michael Kaufman um, said it was the International Union, I see, I forget the, the acronym, but it was this uh, very little known group uh, based in, I think, Geneva, Switzerland that came up with all these things, uh, you know, how we're going to save the planet. Anyway, so, uh, and then this thing called ICLE, uh, people, cities and towns around the country, around the world would join, and when they would join, they would be given software and talking points, and they'd be giving reasons for certain plans and programs, including banning the plastic water bottle, banning, banning the plastic bag, the straw, um, educating in the schools so the, so the little darlings in our public or government-controlled schools will get plenty of this environmental stuff, putting solar panels everywhere, putting wind turbines everywhere, changing the streets, changing the building codes, uh, smart growth areas, et cetera, et cetera. So this is all the implementation of Agenda 21 and banning the plastic bag. Now, plastic bag is something that's been around a long time, and actually it was back when it was first introduced as widely as it ha has been used, it was supposed to be environmental friendly. It was replacing the paper bag, which was made out of trees, which takes a lot of energy to make. So the plastic bag was was environmental friendly thing. Then all of a sudden it became the enemy of of mankind because uh, plastic bag that you use, and I'm being obviously facetious here, will leave your house and make its way to the Pacific Ocean, where it will be part of well, it will join its brothers and sister plastic bags in this big sea of plastic the size of Texas. That's what we're told. So we can't do this. We need to ban them. And when we ban them. Um, we will use these things called reusable bags, or we will simply, uh, you know, just put groceries in our car without any bags whatsoever. And that's going to save the planet, and we're all going to feel good about ourselves. And the bans will require that the stores not only 
refrain from using the plastic bags, but they will have to charge people on paper bags. So you go to a grocery store or any store and you buy a bunch of groceries, now the store by force will charge you. To me, if I'm dropping 150 bucks in a grocery store, I think the least they can do is give me a bag. And uh, anyway, uh, so cities and towns all over the United States are now banning plastic bags. And we're feeling good about ourselves. And those of us who complain, well, what's the, we have bigger issues in the world. Well, you know, they dump tea in the harbor for less, less than this. So uh, first off, let's, we have to ask ourselves, what does the Constitution say about plastic bag bans? Well, nothing specifically, but it does talk about interstate commerce, the Commerce Clause, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3. And one of the reasons why we have a U.S. Constitution was under the Articles of Confederation, the federal or the national government really had no means to regulate commerce between the states. And when I mean regulate, I don't mean control it. It means regulate means everything's the same. Uh, in other words, the state of Massachusetts could say, look, we don't like New Hampshire, so we're going to charge a tax w uh, uh, when they bring goods in. But we like Rhode Island, and we're not going to charge them, uh, and so forth. So it was supposed to be a negative force. It should make sure that the states were not doing these kinds of things. It wasn't coming in and telling them, we're now running the show here. So, <clears throat> so what the city of Boston and what the state of California and towns all over the country are doing as saying you, Mr. Grocery Store Owner or Mrs. Grocery Store Owner, cannot buy plastic bags from a company in the Midwest and use them. Because we deem that the plastic bag is an evil, evil to the country, evil to our city. And you will know and if you use them, you will be fined and and on top of that, you will be you you're forced to sell these paper bags to your customers. You can't give them away. You're forced. So it's almost like they're snubbing, they're rubbing their noses in it. Here in Boston, the ban went into effect December 14th of last year. And I wrote a letter recently. I said, I'm surprised that the city of Boston didn't make it December 16th to add insult to injury. That was the date of the Boston Tea Party. So, uh, but there are some interesting facts about the plastic bag. It is not as wicked and evil as most think. And I'm going to just review a few facts. Again, the, the, the biggest issue is the, the Constitution, okay? Um, so anyway, um, the plastic bag is made from natural gas, most of which are made in the United States. I say natural gas, a byproduct, a waste product of natural gas, uh, made in the United States, made by American workers. The reusable bag, many of which, most of which, are made in communist China and Vietnam. It requires about 132 uses, these so-called reusable bags, to equal the environmental impact of one, uh, of one plastic bag. In other words, to get your money's worth, environmental, your, your green footprint, you have to use the bag 132 times uh, for the impact of one plastic, one pla one plastic bag. Um, the reusable bag is not recyclable and while of course it will take the place of many plastic bags uh, the, the reusable bag will be um, asked it takes a lot of energy to make one bag and that's the bottom line then they have to be shipped usually by boat across an ocean 
the ships that bring these are not run by wind turbines or solar panels. They're run mainly by diesel or coal. I imagine it's mostly diesel fuel. So it takes a lot of energy to bring that reusable bag to market. And there's some issues with plastic with these reusable bags that I was not aware of because uh, I don't use them very well. I don't use them. Um, there was a study in Arizona, and they said that only 8% of the people who use reusable bags wash them. Uh, and by the way, when you wash something, it requires energy. If you're using, if you're using hot water and soap, if you're putting them in laundry, or however you do it, uh, and some of them will break up, so it's not, they're not really practical. And even the cloth, cotton bags do. Some of the cotton bags you can wash. But that takes energy. And only, let's say, only 8%. And so that's probably pretty much a national trend. 8% of the bags that are used are washed. So that means some of these bags are pretty dirty. And some people might one day put in a, a you know, pound of hamburger. Some of that hamburger uh, blood gets loose and falls into the bag. And the next week, you're buying vegetables or other things. And now all of a sudden, you're getting E. coli bacteria. And this is another thing that... Uh, my son pointed out, because my son used to work in a grocery store, he said some of these bags are pretty filthy. And things that, the, if the store issued filthy bags, they'd be shut down overnight. You know, this, this is a health hazard. You can't, these bags can't be dirty and filthy. Some critters like to get in bags. Yeah, like cockroaches. Yeah, nice, moist little spot. You put it right there in the corner of your kitchen or in your dark closet. And probably the number of critters going in and getting into stores is not widespread, but it's there. So it's not so safe and not so environmental, environmentally friendly. The plastic bag, according to the EPA, 0.5% uh, of the typical municipal waste stream. Uh, well, it's not a bad, that's not such a bad thing. They are 100% recyclable. And what do you mean? Uh, well, some of these Benua bags will, will uh, in sunlight, will dissolve after so many days. It may take a while, but they will dissolve. Uh, the reusable bag, reusable bag will not. Um, also, the reuse of the plastic bag can be used for many things. And I like the plastic bag because we use them for our little trash bags, our little trash barrels, the bathroom and our bedrooms. That saves us money. And we now we're going to have, if we... If the bags are completely banned, what do we do? Um, also, uh, if you happen to have, be a dog owner in an urban area and you go for a walk, you use the plastic bag to pick up the poop. Uh, plastic bags are used by my wife in her daycare business to hold diapers. You know, something has to be, have to use something. Uh, some people use plastic bags if you have garbage, for example. Let's say you, it's in the summertime and you've got some garbage, you don't want to throw it out in the trash. Most cities have, uh, they put the garbage in with the trash, so it's not separate collection. And you don't want to put it out there on a Monday and let it sit there for four or five days. So you take that plastic bag, you put the, the carcass of that turkey or that uh, you know, whatever, the, the junk when you clean your fish or whatever, and you freeze it and you toss it out the night or the morning when the when the trash comes by. So you're using a plastic bag. There are other uses, um, kitty litter, people toss their kitty litter, and many other uses uh, for the plastic bag. And I recall most grocery stores have little places where you can put your plastic bags to recycle. So a lot of them are recycled. The, 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 it's a good high percentage of people who have reused the plastic bag. So they are indeed recycled. You can actually reuse them 
since I refuse to buy a government-mandated bag, I will bring plastic bags with me when I go shopping and use them. Uh, they're probably good for, I don't know, 15 to 20 uses, not just tossed away after one. But these are the practical aspects of the plastic bag. But you see, the people on the left, their minds have made up. They don't want to. Some people are amenable. Now, when I just had my letter, letter to the local newspaper last week, I had left my email there and saying if people are interested, and I'm encouraging store owners to fight this. It was fought successfully in Texas um, recently, this, this past last year. It was a violation of the Texas Constitution. And uh, according to um, the plastic bag lobby here in Massachusetts, the uh, forcing a store to sell uh, a bag is also a violation of the state constitution. So <clears throat> it's not just a violation of the U.S. Constitution, but also the state constitution. So anyways, oh, there was another issue I wanted to discuss. We have a little more time here. I know there was two things before the plastic bag, and I... It's this FBI. Last week there was a story in newspapers. Oh, the FBI was so concerned about Donald Trump and his connections to Russia that they were going to, they were just so horribly concerned about it. There's a really little known fact, and it shouldn't be little known, but 1994, old Bill Clinton established an office for the FBI in Moscow, Moscow, Russia. And let me suggest that you go to YouTube and put Louis Free in Moscow. Louis Free, F-R-E-E-H, was the FBI director for many, I think from 94 to uh, for the, the rest of uh, Clinton's term. He was the FBI director. And old Louis went to the Soviet Union, or what's called the Soviet Union. He is a video of him addressing the various uh, secret police and uh, his, his uh, so-called counterparts. And he referred to them as comrades. And there was an article, if you look, he did say in one of his speeches that together we are invincible, meaning the, the various uh, Russian secret police. Now, that t t t sounds like collusion to me. Of course, it was opened up because of the, uh, the Russian mafia and international criminals. Well, you have something called Interpol for that. So why did it take 1994 in order to do this? Oh, because now that the Cold War is over, one one big happy family. But we still have that office. It still exists. So the FBI has been colluding with Russian, the Russian military, the Russian uh, secret police for these years, for almost, what, 30 years. And uh, so, so why, don't we, why doesn't the media say something about this? Why doesn't the average American say something? Because they don't know. And this story broke. It was no secret. In fact, it took me a while to remember. I just recently, it came to mind when I, when I remember reading about it and hearing about it way back in 1994. So just go online and you'll find information about uh, that, Louis Free. And I also suggest you uh, get a copy of the U.S. Constitution. Um, just the other day, I filled in for my, my friend Lori Cavanaugh, who has a radio show, Lori and Liberty, and I interviewed um, Robert Brown. Robert is a constitutional scholar. We used to be colleagues, and he lives in Montana. And he created a, a series on the Constitution called The Constitution is the Solution. <clears throat> and uh, th there's lots of problems in our country, and they would be solved if people had a better understanding of the Constitution and applied it. And whether you use that constitutional study, that's available on something called jbs.org. It's a, you know, go to that website, 
you can buy a set. It's only like, I don't know, $25 or $30 plus uh, there's uh, study guides that go along with it. You know, and it's, a, I think, a six-DVD series. It will probably take, as I said, uh, I was the show was during the Patriots game uh, on Sunday afternoon. And I said, for the, usually for the, for the length of two football games, with maybe a little pregame and a little postgame, you can learn a whole lot about the Constitution. And this is why we, we so much encourage people to have their own study groups. You do not have to be a constitutional expert to host a study group. Uh, it's all there, and, and I learn things all the time. And I'm not, I don't call myself a scholar. I call myself a student and a teacher of the Constitution. Uh, but Robert Brown is, um, you know, no, he knows his stuff. There's also other good study guides out there. I know Hillsdale College has free online study guide, uh, st- Constitution course, and they're, I think they're relatively sound on on the Constitution. The new um, there's also the National Center for Constitutional Studies, which uh, does a really good job. They're based in Idaho. Uh, Dr. John Eidsmo. Uh, he's a constitutionalist, a constitutional attorney. He has a study guide. He has an excellent video on the subject. In fact, I use that. Uh, I was able to get, at the time, the pastor of my church to, uh, to have me do it as a, as sort of a sponsored by the church itself. And it was so, it was so encouraging because uh, many people, many clergymen, in, uh, do not want to abs- upset the so-called apple cart. They don't want their congregants to understand, do anything outside of their little, their little uh, box, you know, their little um, religious box. You know, we don't want to. Uh, but that's why it's that's why if you belong to a church, get involved and say, look, Pastor, uh, this is a this is a John Eidsmo. This is a Christian-based constitutional study, and we have to be good stewards of our liberties. And could I do this under the auspices of the church? And you'd be surprised. Some of them will say yes, by all means. But at least you made the effort. Anyway, that's that's the important thing. And uh, the biggest thing our enemies threat are well-informed citizens who will then take that information to others. So initially, when you start doing this stuff, the the enemy will call you names. They'll call you extremist, a conspiracy theorist. But when there's what you call a uh, when there's a saturation of this information, there's not much they can do about it. See, uh, and that's why it's so important. That's why it's important not not just to be a listener but a doer. That's what the Bible says: don't be just listeners, but be doers of the word. And why it's important to support groups like Camp Constitution and other worthy organizations that are promoting liberty and freedom, and also promote this good this station WBCQ. Well, we're running out of time, folks. I want to thank you for. Listening, and until next week, may God richly bless you.